0: Hello there, folks, and welcome to episode 75 of the Next Bite podcast. Do you ever look at a dandelion and think, man, I wonder what that can do to protect our environment, to give me more feedback about what's around me? Or do you ever think about the cilia on a bacteria and think about how that might save your life one day? Well, if you do, we have the answers to your questions in this episode. So get ready. It's going to be a good one.
1: I'm Daniel. And I'm Forbode. And this is the Next Bite podcast. Every week, we explore interesting and impactful tech and engineering content from WeVolver.com and deliver it to you in bite-sized episodes that are easy to understand, regardless of your background.
0: All right, people, let's get this party started. With dandelion inspired sensors as Article One, this one's coming out of the University of Washington. And honestly, it's probably one of my favorite articles that I've read in the past couple of weeks. I'm going to be honest with you, man, it's good. It's really good. Hit it's me with so. It. Fa- okay. so this we've kind of like touched on this idea for a uh, couple episodes in the past. You know, IOT is becoming big. We want to monitor large areas very easily. low powered devices. How do we get around it? We talked about ocean monitoring, if you remember a little while ago. But the goal is always mm-hmm. the same. Large sensor network covering a wide area. The challenges, power and distribution, right? How are we going to power these things? How are we going to spread them out so that we're actually covering the area we want to cover? And these folks were like, huh, you know, dandelion seeds kind of spread well. Can we leverage that in any way? So that's what they did. They created a very small and lightweight device that is able to just disperse in a large area and uh it gets powered through the sun so the circuit itself is fascinating and that that's what i'm going to touch on to begin with unless you have any questions of course at this point we good
1: no i just i think it's awesome that they chose dandelion seeds the, the way i think about it is like they're like a tiny little umbrella or maybe maybe a better analogy is a parachute yes. with the payload at the bottom being the seed like if a dandelion seed lands fuzzy side down The seed never like touches the soil and germinates. Um, In the same way, like I'm guessing they've got like some type of sensor package or computer or something that they want at the bottom. And by being inspired by dandelion geometry, they can make sure that these things land in the orientation that they want. How are
0: you always so on it? It blows my mind.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. So one of the
0: things that they wanted to replicate here was that parachute like design because, you know, spoiler alert. There are solar cells on this thing, as I mentioned, it's powered by the sun. So you wanna make sure the solar cells are always facing upwards so that you can use the sunlight to power the thing. Um, But yeah, so real quick, just going through the circuit design, it's composed of a very small off-the-shelf processor made by microchip. It's called the A20 Tiny, if I'm not mistaken. And solar cells, it's got a startup switch, a temperature sensor, a humidity sensor, a light sensor, and capacitors. So you can store a little bit of energy for every time you need to power up. Now what's critical Mm -hmm. in the circuit to know is that startup switch. So the role it really plays here is every time, um, let's say the sensor wants to turn on and transmit some data, it needs to make sure it has enough energy stored in the capacitors to do that. So it's kind of like passively checking like, are we good? Can we start up? Can we start up? And once the solar cells have provided enough energy to the capacitors, it's like, yep, we're good to go. Let's power it on. It processes it, it and it um, is able to transmit data <clears throat> to some sort of central receiver. Um, that's the genius part of it. But now let's talk about this parachute. It's actually made out of um, Dan. You're you're going to be uh, loving this. It's made out of Kapton's polyimide film. Awesome. We know we know a bunch about working with polyimide. Yes. And what's interesting about it is they're designing different geometries for what this parachute's going to look like, and um at first i was like oh they they just have this one optimized design for what they want to do but they've actually changed the morphology from design to design to make sure that when they're like spreading these parachutes from the air to the ground they don't all land in the exact same like cluster they want them to drift to different areas right and that is so cool to me oh that's super cool and uh, a couple quick things to note about this device that they've made it has a maximum payload capacity of 70 milligrams so you know can't put on too much weight but this whole circuitry design they've come up with only weighs 24 milligrams so you got a little bit of room to add stuff if you want um that's the tldr gist of what they've accomplished here but obviously the juicy part what everyone wants to know did they do anything with it the so what you know
1: like well, yeah how do- how does it work? What can it do? Where will I see dandelion sensors being used in the real world? I got you. So he,
0: here's a test they did. Um, they they spread out a couple of these to see how they performed. Um, and what they noticed is that the wind could carry these devices for the length of a football field at times, which is quite substantial. And from the, from the devices that they dropped, 95% of them landed solar cell up, and that's a pretty good success rate, right? Like yeah, that's if you're pretty thinking about sweet. it, there's no active articulation to make sure that they're twisting up. It's just kind of chance and the design of that parachute. And it works pretty well 95% of the time. Um, and then they did some testing. So with the sensors that they had fabricated, they were able to get some environmental monitoring data and that that's, you know, humidity temperature, but they were also making some variations. So we had some wind speed detection um, sensors. And then they used a magnometer on a couple of these devices to detect nearby cars in the field that they were deploying these in. All of them were able to send back their data via um, backscattering. If you remember from our, the work that we did with RFID backscattering is like this passive way of sending data back so that you're using less energy. If you're speaking to some sort of receiver in this instance, they were talking to some sort of onboard radio on a drone and from their estimates, you can use a drone to deploy thousands of these sensors all at once. I threw a lot there.
1: Yeah. But. That's pretty sweet. Um, Especially in my mind, one of the coolest parts is using that bio-inspired design from Dandelions, um, being able to make sure that the payload lands down 95% of the time. That's an awesome success rate. Um, And especially I think the way that they've designed these to um, work efficiently, um, in like a low power or a low energy scenarios so that you can use these for, for weeks and weeks and weeks to come, right. Using backscattering and the RFID protocol we we've learned about before. Um, I guess I'm interested in learning what type of data they plan to connect with, collect with these this is, you know, I know you said like temperature, humidity, light, are they looking to get super accurate weather forecasting or are there other types of data that they're looking to collect in the future?
0: Gotcha. They didn't really mention that as of right now. Um, I think this was more of a proof of concept and, you know, humidity. But m- my guess would be this is super beneficial um, if, if you're a farmer, especially if we're talking about humidity and um, soil moisture data, how temperatures changing in localized areas of the area that you care about. One thing they noted for future work is they want it. They want to investigate mesh networking. And that's where you have every sensor being able to talk to each other before sending data back. And the reason they said they wanted to do this is like, in case one sensor notices very, very high temperatures that indicates like a fire, it can alert everything else and, um, you know, escalate that upwards as it needs to. So I, I think this uh, environmental monitoring was one. Proof of concept of hey this is something we can do.
1: No, I, I think that's awesome and and honestly, um, just thinking about the farmer applications, I I think about like ways that when I was working the landscaping business, how how people probably would have cared to understand how different parts of their lawn need to be watered differently. It's kind of the the micro scale of what you're talking about using this thousands of these over the lengths of football fields and stuff like that. But honestly, there's there's a lot of uh benefit to this type of sensors you know the way that they can be deployed the fact that they're low energy and the fact that you can make them uh biodegradable i mean that sounds like you can implement these pretty easily into like you said like a a attractive farmland and be able to collect data over a long period of time based on the fact that they don't need that much energy to operate and they can be um operated by solar energy i think this is a really awesome solution yeah
0: for sure um before we move on, I, I want to make a couple of quick notes about things they mentioned they want to tackle in future work. They they talked about using biodegradable materials for the parachutes, which I'd love to hear. They want to make sure that the environments are testing it and they're not polluting it. And um, they said that that could be an approach or incorporating like magnets into the design so that once the life cycle has ended, basically once the sensors are no longer useful or once they're dead... You can have some sort of machine that goes over maybe it's a drone that picks a whole lot of these up by just using magnetics then they talked about a a mechanism potentially to navigate during the fall so as these parachutes are coming down like can we change their geometry in any way to direct them towards our areas of interest to make sure that we're actually having coverage there and potentially some sort of active locomotion to change the position of the sensors while they're on the ground to get them closer to the areas that we care about. And then the last thing was that mesh networking thing that I talked about earlier, but these folks seem to realize what they've accomplished here. Like this, incredible feat of engineering inspired by nature that has a lot of potential whether you're doing environmental monitoring or you just need to have a sense of what your surroundings look like if you're in a sensitive area that might be prone to fires and they have some really great ideas on how to improve on this uh foundation for a brighter and greener future
1: it's awesome man and you know anyone that's listened to this podcast for more than a couple episodes knows that we're we're uh, huge nerds and we geek out especially around uh, bio-inspired solutions. So this one gets me super excited because, you know, it's it's pretty easy. This is gonna sound super poetic and cheesy or whatever, but it's super easy to like just blow a dandelion and be like, oh, that's cool. Wow. And think about it again. But the fact that they're able to, you know, take that as an inspiration for a solution that can now um, help farmers or help reduce the risk of f- fire in certain areas. I mean. This this all seems really, really interesting to me. And the fact that it all goes back to the simple thing that we a lot of us did as a kid, which is like picking a dandelion and blowing on the seeds.
0: Look at you, Daniel Scott Mitchell, not only a nerd, but also a poet. I love it.
1: <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I'm going to jump us into our second article here, which is also bio-inspired solution, right? Sticking with the theme of this episode, this is a team of researchers from Harvard's engineering school, and they're making self-propelled endlessly programmable cilia and i didn't know 100 what cilia were uh before researching for this article so cilia is a word that actually in latin is meant to refer to tiny hair okay so, um in latin if they wanted to talk about your eyelashes they would call them your cilia um but in the scientific sense we're talking about the tiny little hair-like structures that are on the outside of single cellular organisms so if you think about like a little tiny bacteria or certain types of cells that navigate their way around, they typically use cilia to swim. And they're really cool, single hairs. They cover the entire surface of the cell and they make complex motions like bending, twisting, and reversing. And they're smaller than the size of a human hair. So it's a it actually looks like a bunch of little hairs on the size of a cell. And if you can think about how small a cell is, if you were to think of a hairy cell, the little hairs on that cell are the cilia. And it, It's how they do all these things like swimming around and navigate their way through the world. So if you're trying to make tiny robotics, what you want to do is being able to emulate cilia that we have in the real world on bacteria. There's a way that we can engineer our own cilia and program our own cilia to allow our tiny robotics to be able to navigate their way through a fluid or through the world. The most immediate example that comes to mind is... Um, if you're trying to put like microsensors inside the human body for for health reasons, right? Um, you want little tiny cilia that are able to navigate this robot through the body. So you don't have to use magnets or ultrasound or some other type of propulsion mechanism.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. In the past, we've kind of talked about using magnets to navigate um, na- navigate medication through the bloodstream. And I think one time we talked about these like... was it, frog-inspired robots that had these mouths that look like Pac-Man that could kind of propel themselves forward. So I'm curious to hear about how the cilia is supposed to work, what it's made of.
1: Well, and cilia are the um, primary mechanism by which single cellular organisms are able to maneuver themselves around. So if there's one solution we should look at and try to draw inspiration from, it's It's the one that's most successful in the real world, and that's cilia. Fair. Um, Engineers that have tried to develop cilia to date... Um, trying to make, you know, microstructures that are smaller than a human hair that can do bending, twisting, and reversing all programmable by some type of chip. Um, it requires, as you can imagine, really complex fabrication processes and really complex uh, materials and really complex stimuli. So it makes it really hard to make them, makes it really hard because uh, you have to layer multiple materials. And then in addition, um, you might use like light to add, Uh, to activate one aspect of cilia movement. And you might use magnets to activate the other type. And you might use temperature to activate the other type. So to be able to bend, twist, and reverse something, you've got to be able to control light. You've got to be able to control sound or electronics. And I mean, it just becomes a super complex uh, equation, which makes it understandable that we haven't seen these really, really being used in the real world yet.
0: That makes sense.
1: That makes sense. So is the goal application here Um, drug
0: delivery as well?
1: It's not just drug delivery. The the scientists here from MIT are really just trying to figure out how can we make a single material, single stimuli, single step manufacturing process, microstructure that can outmaneuver even living cilia. So what they're trying to do is all these complexities that we've had with existing solutions that make it impossible for us to actually test and scale and use these cilia. They're trying to get rid of that and make something that's super simple super easy to use, super simple to fabricate. And then that will open the door to all sorts of applications in the real world, like drug delivery. They also mentioned soft robotics, micro walkers, uh, biosensors, um, and even information encryption systems, which, which that sounds really cool to me as well as using like a physical key um, as an encryption system.
0: So but- they're doing the heavy lifting here, building the foundation, the platform for everyone else to
1: build their applications on top of. Correct. Exactly, right? So once once they've established a way to make these simple but actually really programmable and useful cilia, the whole rest of the world that's been trying to figure out how to use them will have a solution that they can copy-paste and carry over and give credit to these Harvard folks for figuring out the tough part of the problem. That's awesome, dude. That's so cool. So the, the solution that they found here is by making microstructures out of a liquid crystal elastomer that's photoresponsive. And I'm going to break that down because it's a lot of long words, science-y words in there. But it it's actually pretty self-explanatory when we break it down. So it's a crystal, okay. meaning that it's got a bunch of crystals in there. It's an elastomer, meaning that the thing that's holding it together is like a stretchy elastic type polymer. And then it's also photoresponsive. So it means it moves under different conditions with different lighting. And so it's liquidy and it and it starts as a liquid so it's easy for them to make into different shapes um, before they cure it into the final structure got it so basically you've got this blobby elastic type polymer with a bunch of crystals that are out of alignment when they're inside that inside that elastic structure but when they're illuminated the crystals snap to a specific shape and then when the lights turn off it goes back to the out of aligned shape that it was before so imagine lights on this thing that's usually uh looks like a hair right it's standing up on end when you turn the lights on it curls and then when you turn the lights back off it goes back to straight so they tested round they tested square l-shaped t-shaped palm tree shaped microstructures and they were able to do a bunch of tests and there's a cool video in this article that's linked that'll show you they made two cilia that were able to do mirroring dances opposite each other so they're swirling in opposite directions doing the same thing and it looks like there's a mirror between them but there's not that's um, really cool and they were able to control this basically because there's a bunch of different parameters that they can use to program the movement of the cilia so in addition to the geometry of the cilia like we said round square l-shaped t-shaped palm tree shaped they're also able to use things like illumination angle light intensity um, the alignment of the crystals inside that structure, the temperature at which that they were controlling them, as well as the intervals at which you flash lights on and off. Basically, by using all these different parameters, you can make different types of motion, which means that you know, basically using one stimula, which is light, but different parameters of that light, you're able to control movement of these cilia in much, bunch of different ways, which basically means there's The reason they said is the title of this article is endlessly programmable, right? If you want to do super specific motion, you can learn and train and understand how to control these things using some of those parameters and be able to do really, really specific control over the movement and the location um, of these cilia. Um, And they're basically given the fact that all those parameters can control it. You can use all sorts of types of coding or whatever to try and understand and control how these things work.
0: Wow. And I don't know if this matters, but. When we're, th- when we're talking about something with hairs on it, I think about the number of hairs um, per, you know, area. Is that something that can be adjusted? Like if you want a specific design, can you create it for whatever reason?
1: Yeah, exactly. So the, the arrays, you can change the density or okay. the size of the amount of cilia on there. Um, but an- another interesting note to mention about it being in an array, right? If, if you're... Um, a programmer mm-hmm. looking at this list of parameters I just gave you. Illumination angle, light intensity, molecular alignment, microstructure, geometry, temperature, irradiation intervals. And you still don't feel like that's enough variables for you able to capture the different types of complex motion you want your cilia to be able to handle. They mentioned that there are extra variables that are programmable, but the physical aspects of the cilia as well. Wow. So when they're in arrays, shadows are cast, which means that as one one cilia moves in one way, the one behind it can be programmed to move in a different way based on the shadow that's cast on it. All right, that's pretty cool. As well as the fact that you can design it such that as light hits and the crystals align, you can actually make those tr- crystals transparent when they're aligned and kind of translucent when they're not. So when they're aligned, more light passes through to the deeper center core of the cilia and makes it move in a different way. In addition, as the shape moves, new parts of the cilia are exposed to light, which means that you can make it like when light hits the top of the cilia, it curls. But when light hits the bottom, it curls in a different angle. Um, Basically, all this to say, when they say endlessly programmable, they mean it. So like we talk about different types of computing, right? How many bits are in your computing? This is a bunch of not just binary parameters. These are a bunch of like three-dimensional lots of ways to control it bunch of different parameters that you can control all sorts of types of movement and program them to you've you've got you know molecular level of precision um, with the way that these cilia move wow
0: okay uh so what is the future for this project it sounds like they built this very versatile platform right do they want to do anything else with it or do they just want to give this out to other people to build whatever on top of
1: I'm sure these researchers will continue to study it. Like I said, I mentioned some of their interest areas for this technology, soft robotics, micro walkers, biosensors, and and a personal favorite of mine is using these as a physical key for encryption. I think that'd be super cool um, if you had, you know, for instance, like a physical key to unlock your crypto wallet. And the way that you verified it was by shining a light on it and understanding the physical geometry of that thing as it morphs, as light is applied to it. Um, I mean, it's basically like the way that your retina is scanned, um, to get you into super high security area or like in clear in the airport, they scan your retina to make sure that it's you. Imagine having that level, even a higher level of security to be able to protect your digital items that matter to you most. I mean. This is really, truly, an endless um, level of possibilities here, and it's all unlocked by the fact that they figured out how to make cilia that are simple but programmable.
0: I'm with you. I think in the world of uh, cybersecurity concerns being in every corner, this information encryption system is is the most uh, is, is the application that I'm most excited for.
1: But honestly, all of it, right? Even when we talked about micro robots inside the bloodstream for drug Mm -hmm. delivery, the hardest part of that equation is figuring out how to propel them. Um, And this is a way here um, that, you know, with these programmable cilia, we might have found a way here to be able to deliver drugs inside the body or for other types of medical devices.
0: For sure. For sure. Um, Yeah, I think that's a pretty good note to end the episode on. What do you think?
1: I agree with you, man.
0: All right. Well, uh... Thank you for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, we'll see you in the next episode. Peace. That's all for today. The Next Bite podcast is produced by WeWelver. And to learn more about the topics we discussed today, visit WeWelver.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of your favorite platforms. I'm Forbode. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode.